everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. With me here today, two very special guests, and before we introduce them for the last time on this read-along, I have to acknowledge my uh, lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Hello, Dylan. And then, of course, you know, this is a uh, a mixed bag of emotions because we've been so excited for this day for months now, but it is also the last time we are gathering for the Chatherine Voyage read-along. We have two very special guests with us. First, I'd like to introduce Blaze from Under the Radar Books. Blaze has been running the read-along for us over on Discord. Blaze, thank you for coming back. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It is a pleasure, yes, and it's our pleasure indeed. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, the author of The Chathrin Voyage, Robert B.S. Reddick himself. Robert, welcome back, and thank you so much for returning. No, thanks to you all. This has been this has been a rare treat. I don't know how often an author gets a chance to talk at this length with, with new readers and old, a nice mix thereof. So I appreciate this project very much. It's been really fun. Yes. We're here at the end. I know. It's a blast. And we're here. And, you know, Robert, I was thinking the exact same thing. It's This has been such a unique experience for us. Uh, you know, we've been able to talk to authors before, but we've never had the privilege of getting this, you know, deep into it. Each book, you know, in bringing in fan questions, having the Discord, having the read-along the whole time while I'm reading, just being able to message you. It's, it's, it's been really excellent. So, you know, before we get any deeper, we just want to thank you for your time so far and for your bravery for showing up today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah particularly today. Right. <laughs> We're just get kidding, to. of course. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we, we will talk about the ending for sure but before we get into any of that uh dylan we need to go through our spoiler warning yes we do because we've finally reached the end of our chatherin voyage here which means if you haven't read all four books of the quartet up through the night of the swarm which we're discussing today then now's probably a good time to turn this down in your headphones and yeah, go back to reading wherever you're at in the series and catch up to us because uh, you know you want to read that ending. And we're going <laughs> to drop some major spoilers in this episode, of course, for the yeah. whole series. So if you haven't listened to the Chatham Voyage or read it, go please do that and then be sure to come back and listen through all the episodes. Uh, and the, don't worry, we have like a kickoff spoiler-free episode with Robert and Blaze, so go listen to that as well. Uh, and it's worth it, guys. And the ending is is got a lot to talk about. This whole book, we have a lot of moments that we would like to talk about, so be sure to listen to that. But for now, that's it. We're in full spoilers mode. There's nothing that can't go unsaid about the Chathern Voyage. It's very exciting. <laughs> I feel like you ought to have a sort of science fiction tone that, you know, Entering the spoiler zone, you know, like a transporter sound. <laughs> you have entered the spoiler zone. <laughs> and we are in it now. And without any delay, let's just go full into it. I, I wanted to get a sense now that we've come to the end. This has been, I mean, when did we start talking about this last summer? And it's now spring in the following year. So it has been a good half a year that we've been working together on this project, reading these books, getting into the story of Path Kendall and his, his clan. And now that we've reached the end, I kind of wanted to go around the room and, and maybe Robert will get to you last, but I wanted to get everyone's full scope now that 
all spoilers are involved, what was the reread like? Because everyone has reread the series except for me. So um, what was the reread like? What stuck out for you on the second read through that was unique maybe compared to the first one? So um, Dylan, I'll turn it over to you first. Uh, what was the second read through of the Chatham Voyage like for you? High level initial thoughts when you closed that back cover of uh, Night of the Swarm? Yeah, well, I'll say the the biggest thing that sticks out for me about the reread is just being able to do it with you guys and Robert, of course, because it's such a different experience to, to do it with friends, to get to talk about with friends, and then the privilege of having the author himself to bounce things off of. Like, I remember the first time that I was reading through this series uh, many years ago at this point, I, you know, I'd come across things and the ending especially but also just moments along the way where I'd be like oh my god how did he think to do that or what made him decide to <laughs> go for this twist and to be able to actually bounce that off of Robert himself has been so cool and listening to his process is just a very unique experience. So of course, I, I love these books the first time. I love them the second time. I think I got to see a little bit more of the background of foreshadowing. And there's some things I, I picked out that I didn't notice the first time around. But uh, yeah, the, the number one thing for me is being able to, to do it with all of you all and other folks in the community. It's, it's so cool. Um, with me rereading it for the um, for the second time, I noticed a lot more of the hints that were scattered around through each book. That obviously the first time through, you don't know what you're looking for, so it's it's a lot harder to to see that. More uh, character backgrounds and interactions you pay closer attention to, especially um, Pazel and Fasha, um, but especially in the last book, learning a lot more about uh, Erethusme and what makes her really, really tick and what's going on with her. I didn't really pay too much attention to the first time, but the second time you really get a deep understanding of just what's at stake. Um, more character relationships, especially Pazel and um, <laughs> Ignis Chad, Ignis Chadfellow, um, Pazel's parents' relationship and his relationship with his sister, how he loves her so much, but they're just so disconnected because they haven't seen each other for years. Um, it's just, it's a fantastic um, playthrough and um, just can't thank you enough for, for this. That's, that's well said, Blaze. And now, Robert, I know it's, you haven't read, you're rereading it, but you've written it. You've probably gone through the story countless times in your head. Now that there's been a few years since Night of the Swarm was published and you, you've had the chance to read it along with the fans and appreciate it from a reader's perspective, has, has there been anything that's kind of stuck out for you this time around? Yeah, I guess a couple of things, but I get one is I'm older now <laughs> and I don't know where I got that much energy to do, to do books. Um, you know, at, I guess the level, you know, not be too humble about it, but at, at a level of quality that made me happy as a writer, but at that speed, I really don't know that I could do that now, um, you know, and it um, it made a huge difference that uh, 
I was able to stop doing anything else during the writing of the four books. Um, I mean, and I meant that just in an employment sense, but I should probably say in every sense, as my long-suffering wife could probably tell you. And, um, you know, I, I had a feeling when I finished The Night of the Swarm, I think it was actually when I, you know, when I finished the first solid all the way to the end draft, there was a moment I sort of pushed back from the computer and raised my head and thought, I've been away in my mind for years and years, and I'm not sure what went on in my life other than writing these books. Oh. And that was, you know, so mixed with the pride of, of having written a complete series was also this kind of a moment of being really... Um, uh, disconcerted, I guess, or just, you know, startled that I could go th that far away in my mind. And I think that, you know, it was necessary to do it at that speed, with that intensity, and still be happy with the result. But um, I was also aware of, you know, th there's a price to be paid in your day-to-day -day life for that. Mm. So that was one thing. And then just, you know, looking at the the books itself, I think the one thing, particularly with The Night of the Swarm and maybe also book three, The River of Shadows, was that when they get to the Southern Hemisphere, I think more than I realized until with this read, I have a series of set pieces in a way mm -hmm. that um, I had known all along that I needed to make the Southern world, which had been lost for centuries, really strange and new. And I guess the way that it feels like I did that was um, that each sort of station stop on their journey in the South becomes this kind of all-consuming thing for a chapter or two. And that mm -hmm. stood out to be more, you know, I remembered my editor at the time, Simon Stanton in the UK, he said, you know, you, your set pieces are really something. And I you know, was like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I forgot about okay. it. And then I realized he's also saying, you do a lot of set pieces, <laughs> meaning you like, <laughs> and now we have this you know, kind yeah. of writing. Uh, so you learn yeah. things in retrospect. So. Wow. And I can see that completely as, you know, we, we finished the series, like you said, it's the set pieces, but it's every like, you know, conspiracy on top of conspiracy and then the predicaments that they're in and the magic system kind of loopholes that they're stuck in is the elaboration. To me, it's the ambition of the story that, you know, it's interesting you say you you put your whole self into this during the writing process because it, to me, it makes complete sense. I, I could never imagine even thinking of this, let alone being able to put it to paper as eloquently as you have. So the fact that we go from, you know, a tar boy in the city jumping on the ship to a whole other world to the, the state of the, of the whole world to like this beautiful love story at the end, it's, it's really, you see the commitment. And one of the things that I admire, not only have you committed to this vision, but it's also incredibly unique. I feel like there's so many times you read books that were kind of calculated based on what's popular and and what your readers are kind of expecting and and what maybe a reader would be expecting coming as a fantasy fan to come into a story and I just feel like you know sure maybe we would consider those things but I feel like the story is is, is so your own vision did you ever feel at a time writing this story that you were kind of going against the grain do you did you, were the 
am I off base to saying that? Or I, I, I just feel like you've, you, you committed so much to, the, to making the story your way that um, you maybe would have made what could be considered by some people an unpopular opinion. Did you ever feel like you were writing anything controversial throughout this series? Yeah, I did at times, I guess. And thank you for the things you said. I mean, it's a very nice reading of it. Um, that, yeah, there were at times, but it was, um, you know, in a couple of ways. I know that it, um, at one point I became kind of um, aware that I wasn't writing, you know, I think at one point there's a section where I sort of lampoon uh, tropes of writing, you know, that in, in, a, in a metafictional chapter where the editor is saying, oh, all right, reader, if you're, if you're getting bored, here's some other things you could read, but they're very sarcastic suggestions, right? Um, and, you know, and, but I, there was a little, like, tiny, teeny, weeny nugget of seriousness in that chapter, and that, you know, I, I thought, it, this is not a, quote, adventure for boys, unquote. Mm -hmm. You know, not that I'm trying to say that it's, you know, for, not for men or boys to read, but not in that cliched sense, I hope, right. of, like, you know, let's go kill the great scaly thing and hurrah, hurrah, beat our chest kind of stuff. Right. You know, so, but on the other hand, there is a lot of, of you know, that kind of fantasy adventure, violence, battle stuff in there. It, it I guess I'm not answering your question exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I did, you know, controversial. No, I, I hoped it was different, but... Um, you're right that I just wanted it to be my own. I wanted, mm. I dreamed this thing into existence and I wanted to write a story that would thrill me and entertain me to my, you know, to the nth degree every single day that I sat down to write another paragraph of it. And often it did feel like it was one day, <laughs> one paragraph. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And so Dylan, I mean, we, we've talked about this series for so long just with you as a fan and I know you were pulled into the story really early in your fantasy reading career reading it now that you know you put a lot more fantasy series behind you where, where does the Chathryn Voyage kind of sit for you and and what about it kind of kind of sticks out yeah definitely the uniqueness that <clears throat> you both were talking about there and for me, what's always sticked out is the almost historical feeling nature of it. And we jump in even further in this book. I just love how we have, and now we can say it's Felthrop, the editor, who's trying to actually tell you the story that you've been reading and you've been following this editor all along, footnotes, all this stuff. And then you have this almost meta element of the full breach society and all these things coming out so speaking of a controversial book uh if it wasn't controversial in real life as much as definitely very controversial in the world of the chatherine voyage when felthorpe was writing it because i i just love these things that make you feel like the world is so fleshed out and i think even more so having read more fantasy books since the first time I read the Chatherine Voyage. I've come to appreciate the world building and just how um, real it all feels, how thought out. And mm. it's a it's a rare book that's able to flesh out such a huge world with so much going on and so many characters. 
and make you feel so strongly for everything that's happening. So, um, yeah, I think it's you've done a really impressive thing here, Robert. And <laughs> Thank the, you the so more much. I read, the more maybe sure. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so Blaze, I turn the question to you as well. You know, you've made your your name in the fantasy community, kind of putting a spotlight on on some of these more. Um, I mean, under the radar books is your name, but certainly books that people in the fantasy community who love fantasy um, should turn their attention to. And now that we've finished the series and we're here at the end discussing book four, I, I'm sure I asked you this question way at the beginning, but, but now that we have the full context of spoilers, I'll, I'll ask it again. It's what, what for you stands out in this story uh, amongst a whole genre and, and why was it this book that, uh, the series that we just, we just had to do? Well, it's basically everything compacted and pushed into one. It's, mm -hmm. it's the story it's all encompassing and you have a um, you have a narrator telling his version of the tales but doesn't necessarily line up to what you're reading some, some of the times and it goes back to saying history is written by the victors in this case it's written by the victor but he's giving you something different than what you're reading <laughs> um, it's the characters how you grow so attached to them you feel for them there's many losses throughout this each book of this series and you feel crushed book two especially uh with, with some of those it's the writing the writing is so beautiful and it's so eloquent and it just flows and people i see a lot of fans just break um give a lot of praises for authors who write like beautiful prose and they're like the best best selling ones they're like patrick rothfuss and so on and so forth but your writing is just just as good as anything he's put to paper and you put out books so like why can't this series be just as good with that um, and it's the it's the twist that you put in and the realization that it's not the story. It's about um, friendships. It's about overcoming obstacles. But you put the uh, the reader through a lot of emotional havoc. Um, it's, I know we're going to talk about the ending, but it's it's um, it never goes exactly where you think it's going to go. And the fact that you're always keeping people on their toes and you're not spoon feeding them what like, oh, like uh, happy endings or, or all this other stuff that's so cliche, it makes it more real. It makes it more relatable. Like mm -hmm. not everything goes the way you're supposed to go and you just have to live with and pick up the pieces and sacrifices are made every day in real life. Uh, why can't it be in a fantasy book? So that's what my biggest takeaway. And it hurts just as much on the second read <laughs> as the first one. So that's, that's my two, that's my two cents. Uh, it never went where I expected it to go either. <laughs> one of my few defenses. Oh, that's interesting. And I, I know I was like, I was, we, and we'll talk about this when we hit the ending, but for sure, I felt the same way, but it was always with a smile on my face for sure. And I, and I think that's kind of, for me, a, a rare thing just in reading fiction at all is that kind of that ending that keeps you that sticks with you and makes you think about it and challenges you but also at the same time feels honest and I, it's like that to me is just a, a huge achievement so like that alone is 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 worth reading the whole series but there's a lot to get into here and before we get into that ending I really want to make sure we get into the muted potatoes of the whole book and I think the best way to do that is just to jump into some of these characters so many 
I mean, obviously we have our core group that we can get into, but I, I think they kind of get summarized nice at the end. But there, there's such a huge cast here that a lot of them get their stories resolved at different acts of this book. And to me, it's just so fascinating to see where some of these these side characters went and and the roles that they ended up playing in the greater story. And one of the ones that, you know, I've only read the book once. And for me, one of the reasons I'd love to read this book a second time, one of them, uh, would be to to get the sense of of Chad Fellow from the beginning. Now Mm. that we know ultimately his role as you know Pazel's father and of course his his relationship with Pazel's mother so to to know that from the beginning to me would kind of recontextualize this whole story and I wanted to you know give Dylan and Blaze and Robert you of course you as well to like get your thoughts on on Chad Fellow in this story in particular and how this this reveal and then he gets like really kicked down before he goes out you know he he gets like mutilated basically by um by um oh gosh the big bad the bad under odd yes odd (laughs) thank you he gets absolutely mutilated and like one of the more intense scenes in the story i was like oh my goodness what is happening right now this is dark and uh he he comes out of it with his you go it's almost kind of sweet thinking back on him still even though he 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 went through that so um yeah Robert can can you kind of weigh in here and give us a sense on like Chad Fellow's arc and particularly this reveal that he turned out to be Pazel's father sure well first of all I did not know that for the (laughs) longest time I'm, I'm not I can't remember at what stage in the writing I figured that out but it may not even have been until well, maybe late in book three, um, I, you know, there's some things that are pretty obvious all the way back in the Red Wolf Conspiracy that, you know, he he really loves Suthenia, Puzzle's mother, and his loyalties um, are, he thinks he knows what they are, but there's some undercurrent in him that's pulling him away from his official duties. And he, um, he's too principled to just go along without thinking. And, you know, I, I, I figured that out with Chad Fellow when very early in the Red Wolf Conspiracy, um, he's supposed to serve on the Chathran from the beginning. And if you you think way, way back to that first book, um, he knows something's up, but he's prepared to do it. He's going to do his his duty. And then he, the carriage shows up at his door to take him down to the ship. And he sees captain rose in there and he's so appalled that captain rose of all people on the planet has been given command and he he knows from a long history what captain rose means you know what what that person does to anything he touches (laughs) you know and he just says i can't do this and just steps back and and, you know, at that point, he didn't even know that Pazel was going to be on the ship. If he had known that and refused, then we would have thought he's just a cad and a coward um, later on, at least. But at that moment, he was saying, I have something else to do that, you know, is more noble. I'm going to have to fight whatever is going on. I'm going to have to find out, go to the emperor, use all my connections and put a stop to whatever this is. 
And so that was the moment I figured out that you've got somebody, you know, whatever else he is, and I still didn't know, he's got a core kind of um, honor inside him that he's struggling to hold on to. But, um, you know, I, I also knew that he just had not been good to Puzzle. <laughs> and um, at least, you know, from Puzzle's point of view, there was something very, very wrong with this uh, relationship. And, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't count on him to be there, at least the way Puzzle saw it. And we slowly find out the, you know, the very narrow path that Chad Fellow had to walk to sort of hold on to any honor. But, and yeah, yeah I, I think it's a great balance of his characterization. Like, yes, this is a man who's well-educated, does things very proper by the book, whether he's practicing medicine or, you know, navigating politics, honor is such a core piece of that. Yet at the same time, you know, Ott labels him a traitor, and then you find out that he was actually the father of Puzzle. So it's like, oh, here's a man who put this character forward about himself. And then the more we learn about his his intimate details and just like mirrored with the way Ott treats him, I thought was 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 wrapped up so beautifully in, in this story. Well, thank you. Of course, the proper one and the honorable one has to fall for the wild one. The <laughs> Suthenia, the, the witch who screams in lightning storms from the roof of her house. And so, right. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so Blaze, another character I want to make sure that we talk about is one that you have been championing from our Red Wolf conspiracy chapter. I'm referring to, of course, of Captain Nihilus Ropes. We had a to me, a very surprising ending for, for Captain Rose, but I want to hear fr from you, Blaze, like, like more insight into, you know, how Rose continued to stick out for you as, as this standout voice in the series and your reaction to his, his untimely uh, end on the Chathrin. Yeah, uh, Nihilus Rose was always, from the beginning, the guy you were just looking to hate. He has... Mm -hmm a very, um, very dark past. He has his own inner demons, um, especially with his, with his father, he's seeing ghosts of the, of the ship. Um, I especially, I found it very, very interesting reading again, what, um, the, 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 the fourth book, the night of the swarm, how the the secret compartment, how he was talking with the, with the prisoner, the, the names is escaping me, um, right now, how he's having just the inner, inner the, demon. The Moxlar? Mo Moxlar? Yeah. Yeah, the demon in the... In the wow, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> the, the <demon laughs> yeah, I forgot Rose. about it as well on my first uh, read-through. But um, going back to that, time with that guy. <laughs> yeah, going back to it and their their interactions, um, how, he, how he comes to the realization of, you know, he, he, he's obviously... Uh, crazy but he needs to make the like a bargain and a sacrifice in order to um push push everybody forward and you know the ending it's for him it just it's i don't know if it's bittersweet to say that but it feels like um he his his character came to like full circle in some some respects from where you first meet him to how it how it ends so yeah i feel like that i feel like I, you gained a lot from reading him and uh, he grow, he's grown uh, so much, not necessarily in the ways you would anticipate, but um, you just, yeah, you just feel for him on some level, even though, you know, he's kind of deranged and he has like a very, very dark side, uh, especially if book two with what he does to Apostle and, and his friends. But it was, it was great revisiting that, that character. 
Well said. It, it, he does have that kind of unhinged quality, but yet he is the one that managed to navigate the Chathran through previously considered unnavigatable waters and and he's kept his crew alive and he negotiated with the mugslot for the fake millstone like you said so that those moments that shine through for him and then he gets some validation that he's not like just seeing things and talking crazy you learn more about that he can actually see and talk to ghosts and his relationship with them and his brush with death earlier in the series where he came back as well um, so it's just a really fascinating kind of balance of his characterization with like, is he crazy? Is he not? He's kind of wild, but he's making, he's using his wisdom and experience from all of that to actually keep the ship floating, not an easy task uh, in, in this series. So yeah, I agree. It was really, really well done character. He was really, really fun to write. <laughs> he was just so much fun to write. I mean, I, I often feel like the, the characters who are unhinged enough so that they might do anything are the ones that I just can't wait. Oh, here's another chapter with that guy, you know, or that, you know, that woman. But uh, yeah, I, I wish he were still around to, to write more. I, I have a, you know, I, I'm not one for writing prequels. I've never wanted to, but if, if I was ever going to write a prequel in this world, it would be the early days of Captain Rose or earlier, <laughs> oh. although it's very hard to imagine him young. Uh, yeah. You know, he might he might just be not that much fun to be around when he was in his 20s, even, you know, even to read about just such, 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 such a dysfunctional wreck of a human being. He's <laughs> he's come into his power in a way by the time he gets to this book um, or, or this series and the timeline of this series, I guess. But um and I don't know, I think it was also fun to have somebody to work with who he just had this pride that was mostly undeserved. But, you know, as you say, he had skills. He had, he, he's really good at some of the things that he's good at. He's not the sort of demigod he tends to think that he is. And yet I guess I also feel like He's, it's one of those protest too much behaviors where he, the more he kind of struts and shows, you know, tries to show how in command of everything he is, it's both, you know, both he and hopefully the reader see the limits of that all the time, you know, I hope, but it's a. Uh, yeah, it's too bad he's gone. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you mentioned you enjoyed writing him so much. I wonder um, what it was like writing those those final moments. For me, they came so abrupt. I, I just wasn't wasn't ready for it when he was fighting with Ott. And, uh, and oh, he, he had just negotiated this. Now there's this fake uh, millstone out there. And you're like, oh, this is just getting started with him. You know, he's going to pull the old switcheroo. And then that whole plan immediately becomes undone uh, in, in these moments with Otz. I was, would, would love to get some more insight into that final scene for Captain Rose. Oh, man, that, that fight between those two. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who was going to win. As I, I mean, like sentence by sentence. Wow. I, I, you know, and I, and I did think could they both live and you know like you know it's like with the death of um of diadrelu it's it's really the, the the scene t 
teaches you what it needs, I think, as you go along sometimes, as you're writing it. And maybe it's as simple, you know, to not make it sound so mystical, but it may just be that your mind is a few pages out ahead of what you've actually written. And you're kind of experiencing that at a semi-conscious level and realizing, no, that won't work. Or yes, that might work. I don't know what the process is exactly, but I do know that it was only in the actual writing of the scene that I knew for sure this can be real this way and this other way, even if I wanted it, just I can't make it real. Wow. And and so, but I didn't know, you know, because I, I knew I didn't want Rose dead. I I already, I guess it would have taken some major, major acrobatics to have uh, Sandor Ott die. Uh, because of things that happened later that that were kind of for some reason clearer to me, but um, no, I, I it was you know I wrote it and was hoping somehow that Rose was going to get to walk out of there. You know, I, I felt like I was watching it happen and saying, "Come on, man, come You're on, rooting for him. come on." <laughs> and it's like he's not getting out of here, is he? Oh, wow. Damn it. He's not getting out of here. And, and that was just, that was the reality. The, the, that's what the only thing that would crystallize into reality of the writing. And wow. I just and, I was stuck with it. Wow. So, this is, and yeah, and it was sudden too. I thought maybe, you know, that would be like three pages from the end of the entire quartet or something like that, rather than right. it felt early. It's like, you know, oh, bang, yeah. gone. So, yeah. He puts up a better oh. fight, though, than I remembered him putting up against Don. I was like, oh, I, he almost had him for a second there. He, I mean, a little help from Snoraga, but I I forgot it was a good fight. So I could tell you were pulling for him. And I'll also say he gets some he gets some redemption because the fake Nilstone does play a role uh, with Makadra and all that. So I think that uh, in the end, I like to think that Rose lived up to his uh, wolf tattoo and had to, had to really be a part of the team. I can say this too, you know, Captain Rose is dead, but his works live on in what's going to come in the future. Uh -huh. I don't want to be more specific than that, but um, okay, he, he, he has not left his last mark on the world. <laughs> so. Wow to come back to that later that's mysterious <laughs> that's been and you know this is what's so rewarding about being able to talk to Robert throughout this whole process because something I've started to kind of learn and and admire about this whole process is there's so much time you've dedicated to plotting and preparing and planning we've talked about your multiple different calendars that you had going and basically your encyclopedia and your maps that you had for this whole world how much you planned in the Trathran voyage and then you get to a moment where a main character might die and you're writing purely out of inspiration no plan at all and to be able to know when to to balance those things I, I just would would like to get some some more feedback from you, Robert. It's like, when do you decide to throw planning to the wind and and write this kind of inspirational moment? When do you know that those moments come up? Is it just your instincts as an author, or is it like certain scenes just require like are better left unplanned? I think most of them were left unplanned. Actually, in, at the level of scenes, all of them were unplanned. Really, 
um, I mean, it, it's sort of just like, I don't know about the level of scenes, but overall plot movements would be like, you know, like when you're nearsighted a little bit and you take off your glasses and you can see that there's, you know, people out in the yard. <laughs> I'm looking out my window as I say this, mm -hmm. right? And as they get closer to you, you can see their identities. You can see what they're doing and so on, what they're wearing, what they look like. But when they're at a certain distance, all you can do is tell that they're there and sort of where they are. And, you know, so like with this series, I literally, I had a map of the world, a very vague map. I knew where that ship started and I knew literally the very island of Gurishal where it ended and that the story ended there. I had only very rough notions of what would happen along the way. I mean, in big senses, I, I knew the war was going to get resolved somehow. I knew that Pazel and Thasha and Neeps would be going on these intertwined arcs you know, almost right away, you know, certainly within about 100 pages into the Red Wolf conspiracy, I knew that there was a relationship between Pazel and Thasha that was going to be fundamental. Hmm. But how it would go, you know, no, I didn't know. And, and really, I didn't know who was going to be alive at the end. You know, that, that just very, very slowly came to me as I went along. Like I said, you know, Diadrelu, I loved her so much as a character, you know, she's just so, gosh, it was great. Every time she was there, I felt, you know, here's somebody I wish was at my side in my life because I would be a safer person and my world would have order. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> anybody nice. lucky enough to have somebody like Diadrelu on their team is going to kind of be better off, right? Right. And then she died <laughs> so, ah, too good um, for this world <laughs> she yeah. has her moments though of of, of coming back and mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. some of those nice touch points uh in her in her um arc but man there, there, there's so many more characters i, I want to make sure we take a few more and maybe blaze and dylan I'll, I'll let you guys uh uh, pick a few but Dylan I'll start you off uh just so I don't not putting anyone on the spot for I remember our last book where I said I had a hunch right our last discussion we came mm -hmm. together as I have my suspicions and then right after we finished recording I texted Dylan here's my here's my uh guess if you will for who the editor is and Dylan can you please validate that I was correct in my guess of who the the editor's identity <laughs> I was very surprised when Charles said it'd be Nada, and I was like, no, oh. I, mean, I didn't, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he got Felter. Oh, I Felter. guessed it. Um, he got Felter. Yeah, he knew, he knew. I, I mean, just trying to imagine that. <laughs> Nada. One. Yeah, I can't really imagine Nada uh, <laughs> being the editor, but yeah, Charles, you were I able guess. to pick out good old Stargraven. I mean, he's got a, uh, He's got that scholarly nature, and I think I, mean, I could fair, throw it back I to never you, knew Charles. How, how it was possible, I could have never guessed how. But <laughs> yeah. I was like, this just seems like the right guy for the job. There's <laughs> gonna be a way in the process that it was able to happen that this that this poor rat becomes a person and writes a story. Like that was the thing that kind of threw me when we had these moments of the societies and all that. I actually. Um, 
looking back on the reread and Charles, when you finally get to it, mm-hmm. I remember after reading um, book two, Rats in the Ruling Sea, when um, Felthrop in his dreams, how he was dressed like a kind of like a, a scholarly librarian and rereading those scenes, mm-hmm. it just confirmed what I was, what I remember about the, about the editor. I'm like, this just makes too much, well, looking back on it, it makes too much sense. And I was thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, could this be Felthrop? But no, it can't be. Um, <laughs> and it's, it just confirmed like on reread, it's like, it's so obvious now of, of who, of who it is. But uh, that was just a fun little, um, little thing to discover again. <laughs> right. People have asked me about that, you know, they, they, the mechanics of it, you know, the magical mechanics are one thing, but some people have also wanted to know, you know, just what happened to him to make him feel some regrets later on. You know, he's, he's got, I, th- I hope at least that you know, he's a grumpy old man towards the end of his human existence when he's the editor, right? Mm-hmm. But I also feel like he's holding on to some version of his old humor. It's like when he was a rat, he was kind of unaware that he was funny in a certain way. Hmm. Or, you know, he was just so earnest that it was, you know, on the, on the edge of ridiculous. Um, and now he's unaware that he's funny in a different way as this guy who has become, you know, he's had this other entire life of some kind of, you know, we don't get, we just get little tiny hints of what that's been, um, you know, that's thousands of years in the future and so on. And, um, and his, his adventures and, you know, the, the life or death stuff that he's doing in the time of the story have become, you know, all that's over, over, over done. And he's now had decades, I guess, of, this other kind of challenge where, you know, the most important thing to him is, is that it's not all somehow falsified through forgetting and his sort of his existential terror, right. Is that that's, that's going to be the fate of after all that they went through, it's just going to be forgotten and mixed up and, and Mm -hmm. falsified. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's just mad about that. He's angry about that. Mm -hmm. And I guess um, fighting for that. Um, So, that, that, that I suppose was my answer to that, that, you know, he's, he's basically become a harried and um, overworked academic in a way. <laughs> he's been surrounded by petty people <laughs> fighting strange little fights, you know, on the turf that only he really understands. Right. But I can only imagine having survived the Chathran, falling in love with your shipmates, getting this amazing, impossible chance to write their story. And then you have the sons of Bullbreach trying to stop you. <laughs> if that doesn't make you a curmudgeon old man, I don't know what would. <laughs> I always uh, want to read those sections with the the grace on full breach self-improvement society, you know, at a reading because they make me giggle, as you can tell. But you can't, you cannot read those because you would, you know, if people hadn't just read the whole series, you know, they just look at you like, what are you reading us? You're from Mars, man. What is this stuff? You know, I guess with all the context, maybe it makes sense. But yeah, it's just, it's not something you can do at a reading. And, and I'm always looking like when, with most of the book, it's very hard to pick out something for a reading, right? Because you have to say, well, in the 
in the 1,300 pages that preceded this, here's what went on. And, you know, that just doesn't work. Um, but I usually, if you find something that's like a little world apart, like the editor parts, then you can read that. But no, it's still <laughs> too much context you need. Uh, uh, and I, I love the Sons of Full Breach a lot, largely for that reason. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to think you're far enough in the future that history is kind of gotten away from itself and then you have these fanatics basically and then you, you think about uh, politics at any point in time or even today where you're like oh man like this these these people out there like the, the way we interpret history sometimes it, it's always changing and and the sons of Fullbridge is just a fun reminder that yeah this story happened and even now it's being challenged by people trying to change it so it's like mm -hmm. It's very funny, especially when you're an editor, right? Who's your enemy going to be? So the fact that he's fighting <laughs> this this horde of misinformed but very confident and and forceful group is uh, kind of like a a um, professor's a philosopher's greatest enemy, you know. <laughs> so love that. And I've forgotten I had to get a little dig in um, against book pirates in there too, because you know they're they're stealing, they're smuggling out the the first draft and. <laughs> And telling him how to re to write it better before he gets it done. So. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah, yeah. it's, a, it's such a great moment. <laughs> it was also, I guess, it. comic relief, right? In the right. middle of all of death. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, it's comic relief, but it also has some deeper points to it. With uh, as Charles was getting at the idea of uh, history is all in its interpretation when we get so far past it and you've got Felthorpe who's like oh what kind of world am I going to be leaving behind if the hero of it is is going to be Grace and full breach <laughs> and there's and there's a beautiful line you wrote in there where he uh, says historians battle for the future not the past and I love that because it's like the values of the Fulbridge society were like, well, Fulbridge is clearly the hero because he's the only one who is ambitious and trying to promote his own self-preservation all the time and had no loyalties. And Felton was like, that is, not, <laughs> that is not the lesson to be taking away from the Chatherin voyage. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that you guys saw my intention there. Yeah. Um. Well, before we get into the ending, I just wanted to go around the room and make sure that there were no other characters or moments that we didn't want to get into before uh, before we just fully committed ourselves to talking about the ending. So, uh, uh, Dylan, I guess I'll start with you first. Is there anything we want to make sure we we bring up here before we hit the ending? You brought Igor's back, Robert. Yes. It's, oh, uh, and Ramachni even got an Igor form, which is... <laughs> I, I can tell, I mean, this is my interpretation is uh, you probably felt like I can't just leave the ego too cool to just leave it <laughs> all the way back in, oh, geez, it book Ramya. two. That, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so it's pretty cool that you actually brought it back. You gave her Machni the form. You weren't really leaving anything on the table. Uh, you were just throwing everything with the kitchen sink out there for this dramatic conclusion. So Actually, I you appreciate know, that, was, that. I liked them too, but, but that was a rare case where the planning really did kind of um, work in, in that 
you know, because the, the bones of the Eguar, um, and this is something I, I figured out very, very early and which actually didn't change much, but um, that it, the, these super magical, but also super bodily toxic creatures um, and sort of just, you know, they're beyond morality, right? They, they have their own thing going on. They're not good. They're not exactly evil. They're, but, but they are very powerful and too powerful, even in their like bodily remains to be left a, a lying around. And the bones of those creatures form the sort of super weapons that, um, that the Southern empire gets hold of. And I think all of this was revealed in the books. I maybe more hinted yeah. at than totally revealed, but um, the plastic blades, right, are made out of Eguar bones. So I always knew that the Eguar were coming back because it was in the South where they were always more numerous. Um, you know, exactly how that was gonna work out, I didn't know. But um, I also knew that when they came back, I didn't want them to just be um, scary, mean dragons, you know, um, but to be, you know, so you're not quite sure if you like them or, or dislike them, but you just have to respect them because they're yeah. deadly. I also respect Pazel telling an Aguar that he hopes it can be happy, <laughs> which was a, a great moment in there. I forget who it was, but someone turns and be like, what is wrong with you? Did you just tell this like ancient dragon creature that you hope it can be happy? So... <laughs> Yeah, some some more good uh, comedic moments in there, Robert. You you found a way to keep it light sometimes, even in the really dramatic and often very sad uh, story here. And as I recall, that the, the Eguar answers is like, "I'm really old. No human has <laughs> ever said that to me before." Something like that, right? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I love love the Eguar coming back and. Um, the reminder of the, it, the 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 language and the impact that it had on Pazel and and then Ramachni's grand return in, in, in Eguar form as well. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun being like, yeah, we had these cards from the beginning. And so to be able to play them and in the in those ending moments was pretty awesome. So yeah, I agree, Dylan. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. So Blaze, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you now. There's a couple moments that we haven't covered yet. Is there anything that uh, we want to make sure we acknowledge before we jump into the ending? Oh, we sorry. Just oh, one quick go. thing from from my perspective, and I remember reading it. Um, it's when uh, Ramachi put this the spell that when well, the person he put the spell on dies, that's when the Shagat Ness will come back, back to life. And it's Arunus's death that causes it. And when the Shagat returns, he's dying because someone cut off his, his toe. <laughs> and I just remember that part. And um, I, I was just, I, thought, I just thought that that was an excellent, like full circle. And I was a, very much a, enjoying that little, that little scene. And also, um, uh, Fiffengert, when uh, when Manalis Rose was was killed, he is promoted to the captain of the ship, and his um, his chapters, like his journal, mean they mean so much more. Where he's he's hoping to get back to his wife, and if he can't get back to his wife, he wants his brother to take over the, the responsibilities and all the background going on with him. Um, that hit more on the reread than um, the first time 
going through. So I very much enjoyed uh, those. Yeah. His brother sure took over those responsibilities. Uh, <laughs> and poor, yeah. poor Fiffin Kurt comes yeah. back and his brother has married his uh, love interest. Is mm. tough one. Sailors gone away at sea too long. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because they lost those five years in the Red Storm. Yeah. You know, nobody thought they were coming back from that. But Right. But that's right. Yeah. Um, I think it's Neeps gets a lump of lead or something like that and smashes the the statue of the Shagat Ness breaks his toe to smithereens. So when he comes back to life, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a jump from book one all the way to book four, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to just mention how much, um, how hard it was, but also how satisfying it was to write the... Um, the battle on the aqueduct bridge, the frozen bridge up in the mountains, because um, that, yeah, definitely a set piece, right? Like I was saying, but um, I, I'd love, you know, I'm usually just buried in character, but I really loved setting up all the complexity um, of them having to fight their way across that frozen bridge. Um, and that was something where I diagrammed it really, really carefully. You know, the, it's flowing downhill or, you know, downstream because it's an aqueduct. There's, you know, uh, th this rupture in it here and this, there's ice here and there's, you know, these forces hidden out of their sight on the far side. And how are they going to do it? And I, I, I really enjoyed that. And then, and then also just really briefly, um, Ularamith, you know, the, um, the homeland of the Selk. Um, mm. That was a, you know, that was a oasis of peace in the middle of the last book. That uh, was, it was bittersweet when they had to leave that for me, um, and uh, I really, uh, I felt like I was exploring that and sort of um, restoring my own batteries, <laughs> along with the character and and in every every chance I, you know, every every part of that stayed in the book that was set there was just fun for me and, and also to think that there was so much there that um was still just you know didn't didn't need to be on the page but where there were secrets there that we'll never know because we can't go back there right mm -hmm. um but that i was uh happy that i got to at least think about and imagine and give little hints of in the distance so. For sure. And I think in those moments of peace, we were able to get like some great characterization between um, Dasha and Pazel because they were able to kind of let their guard down a little bit and actually be in a, rela in a relationship for a little bit. And that was nice to see. And it, it was an important reminder of, of what's truly at stake for them. You know, they really do care a lot about each other and they're just getting a taste of what their lives could be like if they could be together peacefully and and mm -hmm. how much they're trying to hold on to that and and mm -hmm. uh it's in those moments that that make a lot of the ending uh, particularly special that we got to have those peaceful moments and the fact that it was done in a new unique interesting place with its own like a better word creatures in them uh just added again to the creativity of the series. And I, I think it's a testament to the fact that we like have so much more we could talk about. This could easily be a four hour long episode of just getting into all of these really interesting scenes and moments. It's uh, 
it's yeah, it's it's incredible. And and that moment did stick out to me as well. And I just really enjoyed seeing Dasha and Pazel like being together without having to plot the 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 next move, you know. Mm. Oh boy. Well, uh, I think we're at this time, Robert. Uh, you know, we, we are about three quarters of the way through our average time for an episode and we want to make sure we give plenty of time. Actually, we're more closer to, we're over 50 minutes. So we want to make sure we dedicate a good chunk of time to the ending here because the one that I knew like two things about this series before ever getting to meet you or read these books at all. And that it was like, um, you know, really takes place mostly in this really interesting ship. And then the ending is uh, really impactful and you, you have to experience it. Like those were literally the two things I knew uh, going into this. And I, I can see why. Um, first of all, I loved the ending and I'd love to get everyone's you know reactions to it as well for a whole lot of reasons, but it, it might help to just kind of like take it piece by piece piece by piece here um the one thing that i loved and again i'm going to pat myself on the back here a little bit was i the quote that i had read and highlighted for our book three about how love is fragile and it's like it's going to break and that's like part of the beauty of it and all of that it's a really beautiful quote it's it's exactly what pazel is reflecting on before he speaks the master word and it's to me the whole build up to this whole like as long as we're together we can conquer anything and then you get to this point where it's like wow I have to let these people go and that's the overall what love is and then the fact that you know we get to the end and he he we can people can have interpreted different ways people I've talked to but um for better sense maybe moved on so Man, I don't even know. Like, we got to jump in at, at one spot here. So I, I guess we'll we'll take it from the beginning, where where Thasha and Pazel together in their last moments before Pazel speaks the master word. And to me, that the the when he speaks the master word and like nothing happens, like seemingly nothing happens because it's not like some beam of light coming down and some beautiful chorus like hitting its crescendo or something. It's just like he's staring at Thasha, who's like has his back to him. And like she turns around and it's not her and it's Arethusme and she doesn't recognize him. Like the realization of that, like as it's like, who are you? It's like, wow, there's something really intense has happened here. And I wanted to get a sense from you, Robert, like when you're writing this moment of Pazel speaking the master word, like how did you plot in your mind the unfolding of how the realization sinks in and impacts the reader of like wow everyone has forgotten him and all of his relationships have been pulled out from under him it's like why have we like what was the inspiration for those moments and and what was it like writing those pieces well it was certainly very um just emotionally racking to write them that that's the easy answer to give um Figuring out how I wanted to do it. I mean, it was again, uh, you know, doing the sort of seat of the pants writing, I guess. And that, um, I mean, I do remember I was reflecting on this as I thought about, you know, our talk tonight. And that, um, so the fourth master word, I had the 
the few words that Ramachni provides to identify what it is way back in book one, you know, and it was just some ambiguous words, a word that blinds to give new sight. Hmm. And, you know, I knew what the other words did. I knew what their magical power would be pretty much. I didn't know what that meant for a long time. And I didn't, I guess, want or need to know for a while because I wanted the mystery to tease me along as well. Um, and then at some point, again, you know, exactly when I'm not sure, but um, well into the night of the swarm, I realized um, how it was going to work and how that was going to make it possible for Arethusme to come back. You know, I, and it was, I guess it made a kind of emotional logic to me um, in that uh, for Arethusme to come back Thasha was kind of in her way, right? In the sense that um, there's only one body and only one of them's going to be in charge of it. Um, and Arethusme has to come back to fight uh, this, this evil to its knees, you know, and, and save the world. Nobody else can do it. Mm -hmm. I knew that. Um, also, I knew that there was no story without Thasha, you know, or that... Right. Yeah, at very most, there would be sort of a coda without Thasha. Um, and I, I couldn't resolve that for the longest time. And then, and I couldn't, you know, I was working through, I knew Th Thasha had this wall in her that I knew Thasha had figured out that Erethusme has to come back. And eventually I realized that it was her desire to be with Puzzle that was uh, what she couldn't let go of, you know, more than her own life per se it was the experience of loving puzzle that she couldn't let go of and as much as she tried to will herself to she couldn't and without that choice she couldn't lower her defenses and give her body over to Arethusme, you know presumably forever but or you know at least a real risk of that and and so then that's when I realized, hey, that last word, you know, that, that gun that hasn't gone off. Um, so, so I figured out the logic of it. What I didn't realize, even as I wrote the scene, was um, what it would feel like to be um, writing from Puzzle's point of view as the aftermath of that became clear to him. I mean, they're in such a pressure cooker there at the end, very much like me trying to get, you know, meet my deadline, mm -hmm. but they're, you know, they've just, they've got to fix, they've got to fix, they're out of time, they've got to do something, they've got to do something, there's no time left, and mm -hmm. when Puzzle figures out what to do, he doesn't have time to think, and what is this going to mean for me, you know, it's like, I can easily imagine him saying, well, can't think about that really, not, not really, mm -hmm. we just got to do this, we've got to make sure not to screw it up at the last minute, and it's only when it's done that the reality of what he's going to have to live with starts to sink in. And, and it was the same for me as I wrote it. I was like, oh, he's lost them too. And he's lost this and he's lost, he's lost everything right. that makes yeah. his life what it is. You know? And I think what undercuts that is that you always sneak in that glimmer of hope that he's had to latch onto. And that's like the second punch of this right because the first punch is everyone forgets him loses Stasha but then it's like oh people 
will start to remember you eventually. And Arethusmi is like, oh, I'll promise to bring back Dasha if I can, right? And then Pazel's left alone with that. And then we get this epilogue where it goes him living like almost a full life like with that being with him believing that and and holding on to it at a certain point and that is just to me so fascinating because this idea of like hope is a wonderful thing that we hold on to and it gives us the power to fight and all of that and now the fight's over and he's still holding on to hope and it's you know it's driven him to something like like he's drinking his sorrows away essentially he's resorted to like kind of like first he traveled the whole world he got to live his dream of like being with his father air quotes um and like everything just left this kind of neutral taste in his mouth you know and and i i think introducing that glimmer of hope was was so fascinating and also this compounds this element of tragedy to poor Pazel's life and the epilogue is is beautiful is sad but it's beautiful at this at the same time thank you very much <laughs> So, uh, Dylan, what was it like for you going through uh, Pazel's journey, realizing that his last master word left him alone for so long? What was this ending like for you? Uh, absolutely brutal. <laughs> I mean, and I, I forgot how hard that part hits. Like, I always remembered how hard it hits that he loses Dasha and he can't really go on. But I forgot how hard the part of losing everyone hits and you know we've talked about this book so much of it is about the friendships and the camaraderie and the relationships and you earn that so much Robert over the course of four books for Basel and you know especially those last couple of long books and it's all building these relationships and then in a moment you just wipe all of that away <laughs> for Basel it's it's so brutal. And just to have him walking up to Neeps and he's like, hey, stranger, are you a tar boy? And it's like, you two have been through so much together to be getting called stranger is brutal. And that yeah, was weird you, to write. That was really I'm weird. Sure. <laughs> and, and the performance you know too, you have to write into that where how would like, Neeps is acting almost uncharacteristically because it's how anyone would talk to a stranger, right? And to get that coming from a character that we've known so intimately is, is shocking. Yeah. It's uh, speaking of the glimmers of hope that Charles was talking about. I'll say too, I, I forgot that you put in earlier this red herring um, we were like, oh, if you all hold hands together and uh, you just need six of the seven people who oh, have yeah. the, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, who have the tattoo and you all hold hands with, you know, with Nihilus Rose, then. <laughs> but whoops, they're dead. You'll, <laughs> you'll be able to hold the Nilstone and save the day without bringing back Arethusne. And then you kill Rose. So part of the, obviously we hate losing Rose just because he's, entertaining and interesting all stuff but that actually dashes that uh hope yeah. that we had that we we're going to get this everyone hold hands and sings <laughs> kumbaya ending and instead yeah we're left with what we actually got which is is heartbreaking and and robert i want to read too i i wrote you a message um back in 2019 before the fdf podcast existed uh i sent you a dm on twitter um yeah 
about the ending and is it's actually on a like a different account before I ever like made all the FTF stuff. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I I'll, I'll like read it because it's too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you send it to me again if you still have it. I'll send it. I'll read a snippet from it here, which is. Uh, I said, I do want to let you know that I was in awe of and floored by the ending of the series. I truly grieve for Pazzo and Thasha. There's something that felt far truer to this ending than the one I was rooting for. Your choice to end the series on a bittersweet note felt exactly right and drove home the personal cost that often comes with doing what's right. I've read my share of fantasy novels since, and I don't know if I've ever found a conclusion to a series that was as poignant for me as the end of the chapter and voyage was. So I yeah, I remember that's... that message now. That meant a lot to me, actually, at the time. It really did. Wow. I'm glad. Thank you for I'm... that. I meant a lot to me. You were so nice. I was like starstruck that you answered me, and I was like, uh, I was like, he's so nice. You're like answering me. It was like near Thanksgiving or something, too, or like a hot Easter or something. <laughs> and I think you're messaging me from <laughs> some sort of festivities. It's, it's super kind of you. So I mean, it's yeah. just it's a real privilege to have readers who care about what you the stories you tell. You know, people dream of ever having that. So I'm I'm just I'm just thankful for that. And um, and I'm glad also, you know, that it um, that it affected you that way, because, you know, there's a obviously, as we've been saying, there's a range of reactions to it and they're all legitimate. You know, um, uh, I actually. I, what I'm happy to say is that a lot of people have felt really sad and crushed by the ending. But I don't recall anybody saying the ending blew it or ruined it for me. Like, you know, the ending sucked or anything like that. It was just like the ending made me feel X and I didn't want to feel X, which is different, you know. So it didn't feel like, but I should I should tell you this since, you know, all spoilers are on the table now. The ending was darker still in first form. Um, oh. It... It, it, not in actually what happened, but in, um, so, you know, I guess we should, we should, you know, just spell it out. He, everybody has their memory of puzzle ripped out of them. He's alone in the world, although it's slowly trickling back. Um, and yeah, I think it follows like the next, what, 12, 14 years of his life. Um, he's, he's gotten into his twenties anyway, and he's, um, he's, uh, he's been drinking he's been like trying to find other relationships and they've just turned into one night stands he's had you know all these lots of troubles and so on and he's kind of reaching the bottom of the bucket when he starts sensing that the the mirth girl who's been you know through no uh wish of her own but through her own actions been uh thrown into hopelessly loving puzzle this other species this thing called humans and following them around helplessly around the world that she's still out there after all of this and because you know the mirths exist on a different plane of existence there's sort of one foot in this world and one foot in another she does know who he is and she's kind of saying you're not as alone as you think and is calling him down to do what she's always begged him to do and become an undersea spirit creature like her. And, you know, um, and I think, you know, there's a hint in there that even this may not be forever, right? Um, 
but he goes to her in the end and um you know she she swims up to him and the last you know the last line in the whole series is you can breathe again which is what she says to him as as he goes underwater meaning she's given him back the gift of water breathing and and i guess we can assume this new strange chapter in his life is opening up so in the first version it I didn't realize this until my beta readers, basically my two dear beta readers, um, Mary Link and William Spademan, um, just had an absolute revolt. And they're like, we got to talk right now. We're coming over. You know? And they, they pretty much did. And they're like, you can't do this. This cannot be. Because the, in the first version, as they pointed out to me, it was very easy to think that Kloost wasn't even actually there, but was just a hallucination in a very drunk, sick Pozzle's mind, and that he was just drowning himself, and the whole story ended with him just dead and drowned, (laughs) which was, I didn't want that to be a reading of it, right, but I saw that, you know, they were right, and that could have been, so I made it much more explicit, I think, that Kloost was truly there, and, um, yeah, so you got to bless your beta readers, too, because I would have hated, hated, hated to do that to the readers, you know, to, to all you guys to just, yeah. you know, make right. make it seem like Pozzle just killed himself. I would throw a book that did that across the room and never think of it again, you know. <laughs> so, so, yeah. It, that's interesting because, yeah, it, I, I know, you know, some people still are holding on to hope about, that ending even because even it's like oh puzzle we think is off of clues now and they're going to be in a relationship now but um yeah such a such a interesting glimmer of like trying to move on you know at some point puzzle's able to literally let go and can finally breathe again right which is like this double meaning to these words is so well constructed and the fact that he's able to find a, a new life with someone else after all those years is it's sad but it's also like kind of relieving in a way because he is able to like not just be suffering this whole time he's able to actually move on <laughs> poor guy yeah <laughs> and i should say you know um i think i mentioned when we did our very first podcast the lead-in podcast that um there is in print so i guess it's canon now there's this short story that is a kind of a uh a bridge between the end of this series and what comes next and it's called Thasha's Cure for Cabin Fever and um and some of you have read it right a couple yeah. of you I yeah not. I think okay Blaze, yeah. you've read it right I, I have yeah. yes and, I have and it's in um it's in the book Unfettered 3 um Sean Speakman's uh anthology and uh you know <laughs> I guess not to go on about it too much, but um, that can at least point out that, you know, something does that, you know, there is a big chapter in the life of Pazel and Thasha to come, but like so many of these things that I've told you, I have, I don't know what the form is going to take. And it's a puzzle yet for me to solve Mm. because sort of like, you know, we were saying about the problem of Thasha and Arathusme and there's only one body and, you know, she's got to come back, but she can't come back and that sort of thing. There's a kind of a problem like that now. And that, you know, 
I think about what could happen next. And I think, you know, I'm just being honest. I don't know. I mean, I have these glimmers, but you know, what am I going to give poor Kloost cancer to get her out of the way? You know what I mean? It's right. like, no, that, that's, that's not right. Um, are they going to have a wild threesome for the rest of their lives? Oh, that's pretty weird, but there's been weirder things. Uh, I don't know, but it's, it's like whatever ours. it is, I got to work my way through that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and how would that work anyway, since only two of them can breathe water? And so, yeah, but we'll get there somehow. You got to just, sometimes you just have to believe, you know, if you just like run through the dark, there's going to be a, uh, solid ground under your feet even if you can't see it right right well there's so many similar situations just in these four books that you've had a very similar problem and were able to to overcome so i have full faith and uh excitedly waiting for that day that was actually one of my questions is, is what's next for the world of the chaffin voyage like where are we going to end up with them you had teased with rose that we may not have heard the last of him and his his um in terms of his actions anyway uh, are, are there any i know you're already trying to puzzle things out and you're leaving things open-ended is is we can assume then that we're hoping to see more from the world of the chapter voyage oh definitely yeah um mm. I, I don't think it'll be another series in fact i know it won't be another series because i've taken up sort of a pledge to not write any more series for a long time but um I do have a book coming together, um, some writing more in my mind than written right now, but it, um, I th it's almost certainly going to be called The Silent War. And um, the, the characters who are still alive, most of them will be back uh, with new characters. Um, and some of the things that were left uh, as sort of an open wound in this book in the grand political sense, I'm pretty sure are going to be um, a sort of jumping off point for that book. And, you know, things, we left the, the giant island of Gurishal kind of a mess at the end, you know, the, um, some, um, some baddies are at loose on that island and that island is still very pivotal in the um, relations between the empires. Uh, and I, I have a feeling that that's, where we start but then it it'll go crazy places for sure from there Pat, i i believe you <laughs> so, by so, now yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so blaze as we as we hit um this bittersweet moment the ending of, of our read through i wanted to turn it to you again and and get your get your thoughts on this ending specifically but also just the 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 impact you had finishing this this series for the second time and 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 your take on the ending and and the buddy read in general yeah so reading this for a second time it still hurts just like the first time and if you're reading the ending for the first time you might feel like it might be a slap in the face actually for the first time i read it, it I think it gave me a little bit of whiplash to tell you the truth. Um, so to blind to give new sight it has so much meaning. Um, it has so much um, foreshadowing for what's to come. Pazel, his biggest strength is his love for Thasha and his relationship with her. It's also his greatest weakness. And he realizes that when I forget exactly, I think it was like middle of the book where they go to a, a, a space with uh, where time stops and that, brings Erethusme forward from Thasha, and he has that long chapter with her. He realizes that in order for the world to be saved, 
she needs to take over Thasha's body. And there's, they don't know how to do that. And when he realizes that Thasha will not let go of her love for, for Puzzle, he realizes that he needs to speak the master word. And in that moment, he realizes, okay, she's not going to remember who I am. I won't, I'll be crushed, but you know, we'll, I'll figure it out. And he had no idea the overall repercussions of what he was going to do. And I kept realizing, I'm like, what would happen if everyone in your life forgot you? How would you go about in yourself? I know for me, I would probably go into a drunken slumber myself. I, I, I don't know how I'd be able to live with myself because human beings were very attached to our, um, our friendships and our families. Take that away and you become a shell of yourself. And towards the end, um, he reached, he's reaching out for some form of not satisfaction, but friendship and relatability. That's how he finds clues. But you also, while you're in the bar, Felter remembers him. So that's a little sliver of hope as well. And then he goes to find clues just to find some form of happiness. So it's very sad into how it came about, but there's always a slimmer of hope and how he found, he ended up finding um, a, some happiness. So that's what always stuck with me. And um, yeah, <laughs> it'll never, it'll never change my feelings of how it hurt it was, mm. but knowing that it kind of, kind of satisfied uh, itself. I, I always enjoy that because I never read an ending like that. It's very rare to find an ending like that impactful emotionally. So thanks for writing it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, that's well said. It's an interesting interpretation on hope and love, right? Because it's not, it doesn't turn out the way you think it does. It's almost tragic, but then it almost comes back on itself again. And it, it's hopeful again, just in, in, in a new way, right? And even that is fragile as well. So um, these moments of happiness are, are, are everything. And um, it, it's, it's a really unique take, you know, some like you, you, you spend four books invested in these characters, you want to see them succeed. And then it, it doesn't quite happen that way. How many times is the, the rug been pulled underneath them? And yet you're still able to conclude the series in, in a way that is honest and, and it's challenging, but it's honest. And uh, like that to me is just such a beautiful thing to, to achieve, you know, as an, as an author, when you have, you've had people invested for four books, it's like, Wow, how could you ever write an ending that lives up to the adventure that you've gone on this whole time? You know, it can be very challenging. So it's very impressive for sure. You know, it occurred to me um, some time ago, I've been thinking sort of like, did that ending mean that, you know, I was saying something like a love is just not as powerful or a decisive, you know, emotion as we like to think it is and like to, portray it to be in literature and I guess what occurred to me was the decision that Pazel and Thasha take together is in itself an act of love even though it denies them personally so much love mm -hmm. and that it you know if they were less loving people and less caring people then they might have been tempted somehow to um, maybe that wouldn't have occurred to them to do maybe they um would have tried to um, have their cake and eat it too, and the whole thing would have been a you know a failure. But um, but they they couldn't they couldn't do that because you know I think love informs their 
ideas of who they are and how they live in the world. And it's not just getting it and having it for themselves, but preserving it as much as possible. For so. sure. I, I think you balanced the fine line because for me, never did the ending come across as cynical or subversive. Mm-hmm. Like those clearly weren't your intentions. And you've always described the process as like, well, I start a scene and then I write it as honestly as possible. Sometimes, you know, even against the person I'm rooting for. And that's to me what it comes across as is you're you're writing an honest moment and it's a difficult one and a, and a challenging one, but you, you never like go full cynical like, yes, Pazel you know, goes astray in his adult life for a while, but he was able to have moments where he was with his friends and with his non-biological father and um, you know, he's able to go off with Clouse uh, in the end, but it it's not like, oh, love made me a miserable person in the end I just lost it and and now I'm just an alcoholic and there's nothing left for me it's like no there is like life is still worth living and it's because you loved her so much like you said Robert that he even thought to let her go you know so um, it it becomes a beautiful thing and not not a cynical thing and I I think that is another really impressive way to go I think it would have been all too easy to gone like full like gray fantasy and just been like oh and then he got really drunk and died in a gutter (laughs) that was not what you thought it was gonna be was it reader and you're like oh my gosh (laughs) no no you can trust i will never do that (laughs) i may write painful things but i won't write cynical (laughs) i don't like grumpy might go there (laughs) (laughs) right but at least he'd get you laughing (laughs) no i don't i don't write stuff that i wouldn't want to read and I do not read cynical stuff. You know, it just it, it just leaves me feeling too unhappy. So, yeah. Wow. Well, but gosh. I will say this. Okay, the new please. Spider-Man movie stole my ending. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, and uh, I mean, I don't know if we're, we're spoiling stuff, but while we're at it, the <laughs> the end of the like new star wars trilogies has some like puzzle chad fellow type uh rise of skywalker has a puzzle chad fellow type ending to it oh i had no i'm talking about i tell me what do you mean okay i'm about to spoil the end of uh what was what is it charles it's uh sky the rise of skywalker rise of skywalker yeah the last movie so right like the end of it is where ray runs into some person on her home planet and they're like uh she's like i'm ray and they're like ray who and she's like oh yeah skywalker that's right uh, that yeah. <laughs> didn't feel as earned as basil changing his name to basil <laughs> chad fellow but i i remember uh, like there are a couple of moments where i've seen stuff and i always think about uh yeah with when i saw no way home i thought about <laughs> the, here's where the you want to like be able to put a big sticker on every single one of your books saying this one came out first yeah. people. <laughs> the, yeah, check yeah. the copyright people yeah. <laughs> that's that's hilarious yeah it's so true <laughs> yeah i was really loving that spider-man movie and then i was like wait a minute wait wait what <laughs> millions upon millions and millions of people are going to think this is the coolest thing ever done you know, we've never yeah. seen this before. <laughs> Twenty-five like people. billions of dollars. Are go <laughs> You're right. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, I guess my last question, really quickly, as we wrap this thing up, is, is Robert. We've 
for all the listeners out there that have fallen in love with the series and have gotten to know you, like what's next for them? Sidewinders, of course, right? Yeah, well, Sidewinders is out. Um, and the, the last book in the series, the last book in the Fire Sacraments is, yeah. is in my hands. I'm writing it. It's tough. It's, it's, it's a real ringer of a book, but it, I am making progress on it. Um, you know, and it's going fine. I just, I wish every day that I could do it faster and again, keep up my standards and I'm, you know, I'm doing the best I can, but that's going to be a while yet. Um, so, but that's a very, very different series, you know, for anybody who just knows the, the Chathran voyage, that's, that's really, really different. It's a world of very limited magic. It's much more of a kind of a grown up war story. And I think it's funnier in a lot of ways than, um, than the Chathran voyage, uh, but in any event, it's a very different kind of humor, and it's um, it's a lot of light and dark. You know, there's I think what people will recognize is um, what a character fanatic I am, because like the Chathran voyage, that series is just populated with weirdos and more weirdos. You know, right, Blaze? <laughs> so. Oh yeah, the fire sacraments, especially. I remember reading uh, Master Assassins and for another another podcast but yeah. the two half brothers what they go through the shit they go through chapter <laughs> after chapter after chapter and how they kind of just one just screws the other and like they don't know what's going on and it's just like a race to get to where they need to be um love to go through that at some point uh but it's definitely worth reading and definitely recommend picking it up and it's deeper too a lot more um history and I love like how you do like the past and presence of, especially in book one, those are my favorite parts of it. Thanks a lot. So there's that to finish. And then, um, yeah, I, I'm, like I said, I've got this, this additional book set in the world of Alifros. And then the, the great challenge for me is um, writing fiction set in this world. I mean, our day-to-day -day world, which I haven't done in so, so long. Um, and I have a novel that I'm writing about my hometown, which is Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, you know, it, it, again, it's it's more notes than finished text, but um, that's going to be in part about Edgar Allan Poe, who lived in that town and went to the University of Virginia like I did and some other things. And um, that'll be speculative too. Um, it's still a few years away, but um, yeah, you know, so many books, so little time. Right. I don't think I'm going to have enough time in the years left in my life to write even most of the books I want to write. Um, but do do what we can. Well, we, we look we forward to them. Robert. Yeah. Be sure to follow Robert on social media and check out his website, robertvsreddick.com. He's got some great annotations to the Chathram Voyage, and you can get a glimpse into his other works as well. Highly recommend checking that out as always. And it's uh, we're here guys it's, it's been over six months and four books thousands of pages hours of discussion and and we've we've made it to the end and robert and blaze I, I can't thank both of you enough for coming on to our show and dedicating time not just to speak here today but also to to be part of the read-along and to, to be as engaging and as thoughtful and as open um, as you have been, it's really more than we ex could have ever expected and hoped for. And it's been such a rewarding experience for us. So thank you both so much for, 
for coming on and, and giving us and your, your time like this. It's, it's been a wonderful experiment and we've enjoyed every moment of it. So thank you. Well, Charles, Dylan, Blaze, this has been such a gift for me. I mean, I just can't tell you. This is really, you've, you've helped me see what I set out to do and, you know, tried to do through new eyes and in a level of detail and, with, you know, just a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of goodwill. And I, you know, I don't think people get the chance at that very often as authors. So thanks. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure to be a part of and can't wait. Let's schedule another one. Maybe, yes. maybe yeah. we'll do the fire sacraments with Robert again. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. It ab- <laughs> yeah, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, and uh, definitely Ma- the master assassins podcast uh, will feature both of you too. When we, when we get there. So it's uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Works for I'm me. excited for when we get around to reading that one. Cause you know, we, we love your work, Robert. Absolutely. And this is, we look, look forward to collaborating again in the future. And guys, in, in the meantime, be sure to check out the Fire Sacraments and be sure to check out Under the Radar books, fantastic blog, fantastic podcast. So check them both out. And um, in the meantime, guys, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, and we're closing the book on the Chathrin Voyage. And um, it's wow it's uh i'm similar emotions are coming up to when i finished the book itself it's it's a it's a big moment but a a right one so thank you all for listening thank you all for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure and uh as always guys uh go forth and conquer friends thank you bye everybody